I think opportunity is something that you got to create no matter how the market is. And so that's my mindset and that's how I do my business. And so while I think things will change first quarter, second quarter this year, but there's still a lot of opportunity where if you were, you know, as a broker, for instance, if I was on the on the seller side where, you know, the sellers were selling, meaning that there was that big gap in the sense that there wasn't enough product on the market. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host, Yona Weiss, on another beautiful day here. Excited to speak today with Rao Singh, one of my favorite people in the commercial real estate space based out of Central Texas. How are you doing today, Rav? Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Yona. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to to have this show with you. I mean, it's it's special to be able to kind of share the stage here with someone like yourself who's been in the real estate business for quite a while and have done you know, incredible things, not only on the brokerage side of things, you know, running a, a successful commercial brokerage, as well as on the investment side, doing syndications and buying deals. So I'd love to just kind of jump in and see how you balance the different roles that you do. So if I gave a, a little brief introduction to you there for our listeners who don't know you, but I'd love for you to give a little more detailed introduction for us. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. My name is Rav Singh. I am based out of San Antonio, Texas. Been in San Antonio for the last 18 years. I didn't grow up here. You know, originally back home from Punjab, from India. I moved here in the 80s um, and came, our flight landed in Kansas City. And so I was in Iowa. I grew up in Iowa for the longest time. I was there for 22 years. Stayed in small towns in Iowa. Grew up there. Went to high school in Iowa. Went to college at ISU, Iowa State University. Graduated there. So been really in the Midwest for a long time. And then after my wife and I got married, decided that, you know, Iowa was great, but it was time to leave. We wanted to be somewhere bigger, somewhere with more opportunity, and then somewhere where there was more of a community, you know, sick community, uh, where we can make an impact and we can be a part of something larger. So decided, uh, you know, we came to New York, came to the East Coast, came to West Coast, looked around and finally decided in San Antonio, just because it was big enough, but yet it had a very small town feel to it, mm, which right. is what I was used to back in Iowa. So yeah, been here for 18 years and background was from an education standpoint, I was a graphic designer. I was in the arts field. I was in that field for 15 plus years before I kind of landed on the commercial real estate side. And that also by accident, Yona, I didn't choose commercial real estate. I wanted to flip houses back when I first moved to San Antonio. Everybody was in that right was very time frame, looking at if you turn the tv on there's flip this house flip that house and you know i thought to myself i can do it so i was still a designer i was a art director in a small ad agency here in town and started learning about how to flip houses started taking all these classes one thing i did was i took my real estate license mm-hmm. and the re- reason i got my real estate license is because i believe in foundations and any- anything that i do right. i wanted to learn about real estate. I wanted to learn about education, about, you know, just different laws and 
all that stuff. So I got my license and I signed up with this brokerage called Keller Williams, which you know is the number one brokerage in the world in sure. terms of Asian count and just the amount of business that they're doing. So I signed up with them because I wanted to save on that 3% commission. <laughs> and I figured, you know, I'll buy a house, I'll flip a house, I'll save a little money on the commission side. And that's how my journey started into the real estate world. And really first week into the business, I got a call from a friend of mine who had a gas station. And he said, hey, do you sell gas stations? Long behold, I didn't know anything how to do with commercial real estate or right. even commercial. <laughs> I just said, look, you know, I can learn really fast. Yeah, I sell gas stations. And that's how my journey started into the commercial. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. And it's so cool that you've you're kind of just taken those steps along the way. And it's really a lesson for everyone. You don't need to have everything all figured out. You no. can really learn along the way. And the best way to learn is through experience. I think Absolutely. that's that's incredible. I mean, from getting your broker's license, just trying to flip some houses into doing it. I'm curious, did you end up doing any like house flips or did that also? No, no because <laughs> California had discovered San Antonio. And so people were coming in, paying all cash and paying more than what I was learning in the you know back then. And so I never did one deal, but basically I got my license out of it and I started doing commercial real estate. I right. just directly got into selling gas stations and commercial land. And so slowly just started learning at that time. Oh, very cool. Awesome. I'm very curious to know because since being in San Antonio for the last 18 years, you talk about coming from a small town, moving to the city, which still was relatively small then, but San Antonio has grown, you know, tremendous as, as pretty much every Metro in Texas has over the past you know decade. Like, have you seen like major changes? I have traffic has doubled. <laughs> so that just means <laughs> that you know, people, moving, right? people are moving here. So absolutely. You know, I still I love San Antonio. I still feel like San Antonio has a small city feel to it. It's the seventh largest city in the United States. From a population standpoint, San Antonio MSA is huge. It's actually bigger from a city standpoint. San Antonio is bigger than Dallas as a city itself. Dallas MSA is huge. San Antonio is not as huge as Dallas MSA, but as a city, you know, it's really big. So population growth is happening a lot. It's a military city. I mean, there's four bases here when I first got in through alignment, kind of they've done some closures there, but there's a lot of DOD presence here, a mm -hmm. lot of government contractors here. And so it's a very strategic city from that standpoint. And then from an economy standpoint, you know, there's SeaWorld here, there's Fiesta, Texas, which is Six Flags. So it's a destination city. People come here. There's conferences that happen all the time. Sure. So city has really grown in the last 18 years. Wow, wow, that's amazing. I don't think I knew all that about San Antonio. So yeah. um, thank you for sharing that. That's pretty fascinating. You don't think of San Antonio as, well, at least I don't, as one of the largest cities in the United States. It's just, yeah, absolutely. You know, Texas is big, but you know, you didn't really think about that. I think investors are finding out because, I mean, if people were chasing yield, Californians and others, I mean, they would come to San Antonio as still considered a secondary city just because right. of the, you know, people didn't really know San Antonio. So they're able to buy higher cap rates or just get better investments right. from that from a value standpoint. And all that is slowly changing as more and more people are moving here. So tell me how you transitioned from the commercial broker, which obviously you said you started out kind of almost happenstancely into doing your own deals. I mean, how long did that take until you kind of made that switch in your mind? Like, hmm, well, maybe I can do this on my own. Right, right. So I'm actually, I'm still a full-time broker. I specialize in hospitality. So I'm a hotel broker and some investment sales on the site, but mainly just as hospitality. So I buy and sell all across the country. I'm still with the KW, Keller Williams. 
on the commercial side, which is called KW Commercial. I'm the hospitality product division leaders for the country. And so we are basically doing a lot of masterminds, encouraging other agents to learn about the hotel business. So that's part of my job. Just from a passion standpoint, I love, you know, letting people know what I do and how I do it. And I bring people who specialize in that field. And so, you know, we have over close to almost 3,000 agents nationwide on the commercial side and about 175,000 agents overall in terms of residential and commercial total. So you can imagine how many people are interested just in learning in general. And so specifically in the hotel side, you know, we have a lot of new agents now that are coming up and they want to learn about this business. So while I still do that, about four and a half years ago, basically, you know, we thought about my cousin who is in town, who's part of my company called Spur Equity on the syndication side. We basically thought of just combining our portfolio together. You know, he had some single family and some other investment properties. I had some other investment properties. We basically combined our portfolio together, sold a lot of our stuff that we had, and we got into a 16 unit multifamily property, just local in town, about 20 minutes away from our house. And we purchased that property, nothing to do with syndication. We wanted to just buy something, keep Mm -hmm. something and see what happens. You know, we managed the property ourselves. I've been in the real estate world for a long time and, you know, I have a lot of connections in terms of just vendors and, you know, knowing what to do, you know, where to go and that stuff. So we did that. And, you know, within a year, Jonah, we sold that property just because somebody just came and said, hey, we want to buy this property. We got the money that we needed. We doubled the equity in one year. Wow. We just didn't know what happened. And I've been doing this for my clients. But personally, for me, it just, you know, when this happened, it was a good problem to happen. We started looking around. We 1031 that equity and bought another property closer to Austin area. Just him and I, just as partners, as family, we bought that property. So we went from 16 to 50 units without putting any more money into it. We 1031 into it. Right. And so that was a good problem to have. But (laughs) what really happened from a journey standpoint is that our friends and family started knocking and they started basically saying, hey, guys, you're buying these. How do we get involved? Mm -hmm. As you know, partnership is not always easy, especially when you're partnering with so many different people. And I've been on my hotel side, I've been doing brokerage. So I knew about the syndication world a little bit. I knew people who are doing GPLP deals. I didn't know about the structure on the background as much. But basically, we decided that, hey, let's figure this out. If we are going to do this, one of our passions is, you know, while we were learning about the syndication side, that how come we didn't do this early on? How come we didn't know this? How come like I didn't know this 10, 15 years ago? How come I didn't get involved? And so one of our passions was that let's introduce this to people who are just getting out in the job world. Let them understand what this means and how this can really change maybe their trajectory much faster than ours. And so we formed a company back in 2016. And then in 2018, you know, we basically started getting into the syndication side of it. And since then, you know, we've been kind of nonstop. We've done a lot of deals. That's awesome. And again, it just shows you the power of just learning on the fly. I mean, yes, it's hard to deal with that fact when you're like, hmm, how come I didn't know about this earlier, especially when you're dealing in the commercial real estate world. But I mean, do you... I'm sure you find this like this very, very common from what I've seen is that brokers uh, are not investors or brokers don't do their own deals as much as you would think they did. Meaning you, you see you're around, you're surrounded all day, every day by people buying real estate, commercial real estate for investment purposes, right? And 
all the time. You'd think that light bulb would go off in everyone's head. Why don't I just do this on my own? What I basically came up with, my idea was, well, the ones that do learn that basically stop being brokers. Like they just go into it full time. So I'm curious, you know, why is it from your standpoint, you're doing both? I mean, how are you balancing doing both still? Yeah, well, I mean, it's tough for sure, right? I mean, it's tough in terms of taking a toll on family and taking a toll on, you know, just a lot of other things time-wise. But one thing that I have early on decided was that I'm playing a pretty key role on the KW on the brokerage side. And strategically, what we're doing is we're introducing syndication and we're introducing investments to 170, 175,000 agents that are out there. And so if you can imagine as my company's per equity, you know, if we have a deal that's out there, not only am I now going in front of my family and friends and network that we have from an investor standpoint, but then I also am starting to introduce this to my KW family, right. people who've known me for the last 18 years being in this world. And so to introduce them and to take this investment to them, I do get a lot of investors, people who are uh, really doing their brokerage business at the very high level. Mm-hmm. Well, they also need to invest. They also want to invest. And maybe they're not wanting to invest like I do in terms of syndicating and leading a project, but they still want to passively invest. So strategically, we've decided that it is a good thing for us to have in regards to just getting more investors into our pipeline through the brokerage business. Right. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't really, I don't know how you do it. Like, it's hard to do both. It's hard to run, you know, a private equity company, essentially, and also be on the commercial side as a brokerage and doing all the education, all the masterminding that that you're doing. I mean, you, you must be like a superhuman or something. <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, we all have our strengths, right? We all have our weaknesses. And uh-huh. so this matter of prioritizing. And so, you know, this is the time for me to do it at this point, right? I mean, and so both we're both kind of aligning and changing the way we're working our full-time jobs at this point in regards to kind of my partner who also has a full-time job and he is in the IT business and the IT world. And so he's aligning and he's maybe kind of focusing and I'm doing the same thing on my end. You know, maybe I'm doing less brokerage and more education and strategically inviting people to come and invest with us on the spur equity on syndication side. So I think all that's going to take shape in 2023. For us, we have a robust business plan for this year. And some of that's going to kind of make sense, you know, as we move along this year. So as 2023 is, you know, started off with a bang, obviously, are you seeing a slowdown at all from the commercial side of things like people buying property, people selling properties? We hear a lot of, a lot of talk about it in the news. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I think things are changing and things are changing in some ways pretty fast. In some ways, there's still a lot of dry powder out there. There's a lot of money. There's still a lot of equity chasing that product. I think the alignment of where the seller is and where the buyer is, is still not there. There's a big gap there. And I think that plays a big role as the capital markets, as we're seeing the interest rates go up. I think we're seeing more and more people just kind of going off the sidelines and saying, hey, I'm going to just wait for a while. But at the end of the day, people who have to spend because they need to do a 1031 because they just sold the project, they need to roll that money into something else. A lot of that is still going to happen no matter what. I think opportunity is something that you got to create no matter how the market is. And so that's my mindset and that's how I do my business. And so while I think things will change first quarter, second quarter this year, but there's still a lot of opportunity where if you were, you know, as a broker, for instance, if I was on the on the seller side where, you know, the sellers were selling, meaning that there was that big gap in the sense that 
there wasn't enough product on the market. Now maybe there's going to be more product on the market and maybe I'll shift and look into the buying side at this point from a broker standpoint. So I think a lot of brokers are pivoting. A lot of brokers are changing. And that shift is real in the market. The shift is happening. So from a broker standpoint, people are seeing how do they shift and how do they change their business plan based on the fact that, you know, when there's going to be now more buyers, not enough, you know. So opportunity, as I said, is going to happen no matter what. Yeah. I mean, are you from the investor standpoint that you are? I mean, are you finding like more deals to pounce on? Are you preparing for that? A lot of people talking about, you know, more people having loans that are maturing, that they're not going to be able to refinance, bridge loans and things like that. Is that pretty common? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're seeing that. We're seeing it in the market right now. Matter of fact, we're hunting and we're reviewing those deals, underwriting those deals at this time. And frankly, I mean, in the last four years, five years, we've gone into some of those loan, our loans ourselves. And so we are now seeing, you know, how do we, what do we need to do in order for us to safeguard, you know, some of those loans that we have. But for the most part, I think that's what the strategy is. People who've taken those maybe variable loans or bridge loans and how are they going to survive? And maybe it's an opportunity for somebody who's a buyer on this side. And then and certainly that's what we're looking in the market also at the given time where we're reviewing some of those projects. Wow. Tell me about one, because I know you've done a lot of deals. I mean, you're doing hotels yourself in terms of on the buying side. I'm curious about, feel free to share on the brokerage side as well. I'm sure you have some great stories, but I'm really curious to hear about one of the most creative deals that you've done. Yeah, gosh. I think for me, you know, every deal that we try to do is very creative in the sense that, you know, of course, there's traditional money that's out there. And I'm always going to the seller and seeing how can they participate in the deal and still stay in the deal itself. So we've done a couple of deals where we've had the owners carry back the paper. And just so, you know, that has given us room and time to shop around for the best debt that's out there. And sometimes, you know, we will just tell people that, look, if you want to owner finance and you want to still be part of the equity position in the property, in the capital stack, you're more than welcome to do that. So I approach something as a blank canvas when I'm looking at a deal. How can I make it better for me? How can I make it better for my investors? And how can I actually make a win-win for both, for me, the buyer, as well as the seller itself? I mean, one of the things that CCM has taught me from an education standpoint is that, you know... A negotiation is not one-way street, right? It's not a one-way. Sure. It's not what Rav wants, right? It's what I want and what the other person wants and how are we going to shake hands? So we've done a lot of those deals and I'm not afraid to go and say, look, let's figure out how are we going to make this deal work? Simple as that. Versus saying I'm on one corner, you're on the other corner. That's so important, right? I mean, business is a two-way street. It's cliche, right? But it's so true. You want to make sure that in the end of the day, you're getting a a win-win. I'm just like throwing out cliches here all the time, but it's important, especially, you, you know, you're doing a deal. You may end up doing another deal with that same person later on down the road, but if you mess Absolutely. it up or you, you try to be too selfish, as a lot of people try to do in the business world, yeah. you're going to end up burning bridges. You're going to end up, you know, messing yourself up down the road. Having a, a bigger mind, the abundant mindset is really going to probably get you further than anything else. 100%, 100%. People who were my brokerage clients are my investors and people who were my investors are my clients on the other side. So, you know, even though I try to keep it pretty, pretty clean in my head, I mean, I'm a hotel broker, but I'm buying multifamily on the syndication side. But from an equity standpoint, you know, money's money. And mm -hmm. so when I'm bringing a deal in, not only am I going to my investors, but I'm also going to some of my clients that I've done business with in the past, 
they know me, they like me, they trust me, that factor is already there. And when I'm showing my underwriting to them and saying, okay, look, does this deal make sense for you? Keep doing what you're doing, right? A matter of fact, I'll help you on that side. But does, if this deal makes sense for you passively, let's diversify. Let's put some of that money in on a project like this also. Makes sense. And that, by the way, that was a very creative deal. I mean, I'm seeing seller financing is something that's coming, you know, coming up a lot. People trying to do more of, especially nowadays. I think you're ahead of the game by having the experience and doing it that way. No, yeah, I think we got to use, I mean, it's it's a toolbox, you know. Yeah. For sure. You got to open up the toolbox. It's one of the tools that we have in it. And so it's definitely something that I even encourage a lot of my clients be in the broker site or, of course, on the syndication side. I said, hey, let's look at it and make sure that this makes sense. I mean, if I can get something better somewhere else, by all means, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I am going to look at the deal itself and if the numbers are going to shake out or not. But if the numbers make sense and it still makes sense for the seller to stay in the deal, then why not at that point? Sure. There are so many reasons. I mean, really just, it's getting back to understanding your client, understanding the seller. Like, why are they selling the property? What's their intention? And oftentimes, if you dig through that, you'll find that there's more to it than just, you know, they're trying to sell, move on. Maybe they don't really want to sell. Maybe they have a specific, you know, cash or capital events and another property or whatever they just need cash for. Uh, So definitely a good strategy to have, you know, to be on the winning side over there. Absolutely. Rav, I'd love to transition out of what we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all of my guests. And first question to you is, what's the worst job that you ever had? Gosh, the, you know, my jobs have been pretty fun, actually, what I've done on the creative side and then, uh, you know, now on the broker side. I would have to say I, I'm going to have to go back to my college days. One of my jobs where I was in the design field, learning about graphic design, and I got a job where a professor hired me to make foam core boxes for one of the projects. And it was like a semester long job that I got. I got great money, $10 an hour. I still remember back in the 90s. And all I had to do was just cut and make boxes. And I loved, you know, doing stuff with hand and all that stuff. But it was one of those jobs where my friends were a lot of times over the weekends having fun, partying and doing all that stuff while I was sitting (laughs) and making boxes for my professor. You know, I didn't know why or what they wanted to use it for, obviously, maybe for a class or for a project, but it paid me money and, you know, it paid through my school schooling and stuff. So I did it, but I didn't see any value in it at that point. So I would think that that's probably one of my worst kind of jobs at that point that I had just from a time standpoint. Yeah. I mean, that sounds pretty, pretty (laughs) grueling at that point in time, especially at that point in time, you know, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, awesome. What's Second question, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? So I love listening to books. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time where I sit down. You know, I mean, I like to feel a paper, sure, but I just don't have enough time. So I listen to a lot of books. But one of the books that I have read about three, four years ago is actually written by the CEO of Keller Williams. It has nothing to do with real estate, but it's called The One Thing. Yeah. So Gary Keller and Jay Papson, he wrote that book. And that book really was a paradigm shift for me because, you know, as I was doing a lot of work on my brokerage side and on the syndication side I was starting, that book helped me kind of streamline my thinking in regards to what I needed to do. And it really kind of answered the question that what's the one thing that you absolutely can do such that by doing so, everything else becomes irrelevant or unnecessary. 
you know, what's that one thing that's going to take you to that goal of yours, whatever that goal might be. And so I kind of pondered on that part of it, but that book was very, and it's a very small book. It's written really easy to read, but it really has a lot of nuggets and a lot of value in that book itself. So that's something that I got out of it. Yeah. Excellent book. Definitely been mentioned before. It was a book that, you know, was very impactful for me as well. You know, once you kind of get get that mindset and just realize what that one thing is, it really helps you to focus and grow. So appreciate you bringing that up. Awesome, awesome choice. We're going to move to the third question, which is what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Uh, There's a lot. (laughs) There are a lot of things that I would like to learn just, you know, from working with my kids. And I think at the end of the day, I would have to say maybe being a good communicator. I feel like, you know, the background that I have in the graphics and in the arts field, I've done really well on the creative side of things in terms of crafting a message. But in communication standpoint of it, I wish that, you know, if I have a message, if I have a thought, I would clearly articulate that. And to some people, that's very natural. It comes very natural, right? And to others, they end up struggling. So I would have to say maybe on that side, you know, learning how to be a great communicator would Mm -hmm. be a skill that I'm still learning. It's a lifelong journey for me on that side. And that's such a huge skill to have. And it's something that definitely, like you said, comes with time, comes with practice and learning to communicate is probably one of the most valuable skills or tools there is in any profession. But especially, you know, if you're dealing with with investors, you're dealing with, you know, high net worth individuals, it's really important to have that. But, you know, it's it's an important skill in life, uh, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that elevator pitch that we talk about. I mean, in life, you need to know how to concisely, either it's dealing with your kids or dealing with your boss or dealing with your client or dealing with an investor. I think the more concise you can be and make it easy for them to understand in the seventh grade type of you know level, I think that it's easy to some people, but it's very hard to somebody else. Hundred yeah. percent. And, and like I said, you know, in in life, you know, with your family, your spouse, your children, it's a huge you know game changer to be an excellent communicator. Yes. Sir. Fourth and final question: What does success mean to you? You know, a lot of things. Once again, to me, success would be probably the legacy or the impact that I can leave for my family, for my community, for the people that I serve, the people that I love. I think that would be it. You know, so everybody's goals are different. I think a lot of that has to do with finances, a lot of has to do with you know a lot of other things. But at the end of the day, to me, it would be that impact, right? I mean, what's that legacy? What's that impact that I can leave for my family and for the people that I love or the people that love me on that side? I think that would be for me. That's awesome. That's really what it's all about. I mean, thinking about the impact you can leave. Love that. Love that definition, Rav. It's it's been such a pleasure catching up with you today. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want to? Sure. So they can find me on my company, SpurEquity.com. Also LinkedIn. I have a page there, just Rav Singh CCIM. Same thing with Twitter, same thing with Instagram or Facebook, but easiest would be just go to SpurEquity.com and you can see me over there. But love to engage with the, you know you again and with your investors. You know, Anytime I know my agents here, they ask us a question regarding, you know, what you do, obviously, on the cost seg side, you know, that's something that I just said, hey, try to talk to Yona and see, you know, what knowledge he has and how he can help you guys. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's always good to have have warm referrals and people in the industry helping each other out. Always good to have experts in their respective fields. So definitely good to have you in my network, Rob. It's been really a pleasure. Thank you again for taking the time and joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, And to our listeners, thank you guys for joining us all the way to the end. Once again, 
Remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.